episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. Last week, we talked about the alliance of American football, and we looked at the betting markets for futures, season win totals, and week one matchups. And that episode was such a hit, and the first week of alliance football was so overwhelmingly enjoyable that we are once again talking about the alliance because there is no offseason. Here with me is our resident alliance expert, Ian Harditz the director of the Fantasy Labs NFL platform and an Action Network analyst. You can follow him in the Action Network app at iHeartIt's. Also use the app to get real-time NFL odds and track your bets for free. Ian, the football season rolls on. And for week two of the Alliance, we have decided to amplify our coverage at the Action Network and Fantasy Labs. Give us a little breakdown. What Alliance content should people check out this week? Yeah, man, we're hitting it from uh, all ends now. So I came out with a scouting piece, kind of looking at every offense, a bunch of week one takeaways that's out right now. Also have our fantasy rankings for the AAF from myself, Matt, and Sean Corner, a.k.a. the odds maker. I can't, I can't uh, believe that Sean contributed to this. I thought it was going to be like, I mean, it was almost a joke of like, hey, <laughs> we're going to do rankings, right? And it was like, yeah, sure, we're going to do rankings. And then Sean was like, okay, yeah, I'll set up the spreadsheet. It was like, what? Like, I wasn't planning on Sean contributing in this in any way. And he, he's uh, full on into it. I was, I was about know. to say, man, like he's not going halfway in or anything. He's been messaging me all week about <laughs> this stuff. He's not pulling around. <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic. But yeah, we had those go up uh, tomorrow at some point. I'll have the ultimate betting guide out and we're also going to be offering us some fancy coverage on fan balls contest. So we pretty much got the whole nine yards covered this week. Uh, I'm excited. I, th- I feel like we know maybe, maybe about 5% more than we did this time last week. Yeah, we basically know nothing, uh, <laughs> which is kind of the, uh, some of the logic behind Sean Corner's Alliance Power Ratings, which uh, actually just posted to the site. So as you were listening to this, you can just meander over to Action Network and uh, you will see his fine piece there amongst the other pieces there that Ian will publish. So yes, a lot of uh, Alliance content that we are bringing you this week. Ian, let's do a quick kind of review of week one. Some of the big takeaways for the Alliance in general, poor quarterback play, poor offensive line play, dropped passes, uh, basically substandard type of football that you would expect from guys who really never made it in the NFL or are trying to get to the NFL. But it was super enjoyable, I, I have to say. What are your takeaways from week one? Yeah, I agree with everything that you said. I thought a lot of the poor uh, offensive line play, though, if you watch it, I mean, a lot of times these quarterbacks were just getting hit by kind of free-running blitzers that weren't picked up. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't too many examples of offensive line just getting beat one-on-one. A lot of times it was just big-time blown protection scheme. And that's kind of something we'd expect with kind of limited practice reps between these guys. They're, they're still trying to figure out the defensive blitz rules. So, whole bunch going on there I do think these offenses as they get more weeks of practice and kind of have more defined depth charts are going to improve but I think the one uh mistake that 
kind of everyone made last week was we looked at these defensive rules. You know, you can only blitz five. Uh, Got to be real careful about well, when they're on the line of scrimmage and who can go and who can't. We kind of spent so much time uh, paying attention to those that we forgot how bad some of these quarterbacks are. And even when you do handcuff the defense, uh, that can't just save Christian Hackenberg and some of these other guys, no matter how hard the league might be trying. But other than that, I thought the, the league was a lot, had a whole lot of positives. I mean, there's a much faster pace. No commercial timeouts I thought was huge. And the no kickoffs was great. And I thought it was fun, man. We had a lot of big hits, but uh, there were some big catches down the field. And I thought there's some overall good plays overall. Yeah. So I would say I didn't put much on the, uh, the overs. My biggest investment was the, uh, the anti-Hackenberg position, which uh, worked out beautifully. But I, I do actually think that even though it didn't work out last week, I still think long-term the overs will probably be the better play here. But I mean, we're just, we're in week two. We really kind of have to wait and see. But uh, yes, let's progress into talking about the action for week two. We have four games, two on Saturday, two on Sunday. The first game, the Salt Lake Stallions at the Birmingham Iron. Iron are favored by seven and a half, a 46 point over under. Ian, give us some takeaways from these two teams for week one. And then let's kind of look at the matchup. Yeah, so Salt Lake, we really liked what we saw from them going into week one. And I thought they kind of showed uh, a lot of a lot of that. I mean, they were only losing to Arizona, I believe it was 16 to 19 at a halftime. But unfortunately, Josh Woodrum, their quarterback, who, you know, I thought going into this league might have been the best overall quarterback. He injured his hamstring, couldn't play the rest of the game. He's day-to-day, wasn't able to practice Wednesday. Uh, backup quarterback, Matt Linehan, Scott Linehan's kid. As you can imagine, AAF backup quarterback, and your dad was an offensive coordinator. This guy doesn't exactly have all the tools to be a great quarterback. Otherwise, he probably would have been one by now. He came in, kind of struggled to get going, only 4.3 yards per attempt, and the offense stalled out. It was tough to take too much away kind of from the offense, you know, entire half of their backup quarterback. But it seemed like the big takeaway from this team was their offensive line. I mean, there's a graphic that showed during the broadcast. I mean, every single lineman except their center is at least six foot four and weighs over 315 pounds. So I could see Salt Lake, I mean, especially with Dennis Erickson, kind of old school coaching staff as well, really embracing a grinded out running game moving forward if Woodrum's out. I mean, they got Brandon Oliver, Matt Asiata, Joel, Joel uh, Boagnon, three guys that are kind of more, more or less made to run inside anyway. So going to be paying a lot of attention to that Salt Lake run game moving forward. And on Birmingham, man, I think we talked about him as one of these sleeper teams uh, going in just because of their quarterback, Luis Perez. I think he backed up those claims. I mean, Birmingham had a week high, five drops, and Perez still managed to average 7.6 yards per attempt. I mean, top three completion rate. He looked like he belonged out there, and it was good to see because I'm not quite sure if, uh, you know, we should expect the same breakout game from Trent Richardson, if we want to call it that, on a weekly Air quote breakout game. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Got the week high, 24 touches, two touchdowns. But, I mean, still had his, you know, patented under 3.0 yards per carry. So, it'll be interesting, man, because I'm I'm looking at Richardson. You know, he's our number two uh, fantasy back for this week. So, I mean, I'm not doubting he's a starting guy. But there's a chance that that was a little bit game flow oriented, I think, because the backup running back, Ladarius Perkins, ended up getting eight targets, had six catches, worked ahead of T. Rich in a two-minute drill. So, Something to really pay attention to is Richardson was limited in practice today with a hamstring injury. So might be, uh, you know, more of a rest thing than anything. He was at least out there. But I'm uh, definitely looking forward to fading Richardson this week and getting in on some uh, Ladarius Perkins. What do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, I just got to say, if you had to anticipate like an over-under for like the week in which Trent Richardson would pop up on the injury report with like a hamstring issue, like week two, maybe like two and a half would have been <laughs> the, the line to set. So, you know, not, not a surprise. And as you mentioned, Ladarius Perkins seen a pretty significant target share. The one thing I would say is that Trent Richardson uh, in his time in the NFL, like was a decent receiving back especially like for a guy of his size. So, and he had four targets last week. So like he, he does have potential to be like the the lead guy, but uh, yeah, if he's injured, I don't think they have any reason to stick with him when they do have someone pretty competent behind him. Birmingham, I thought was interesting. Let's go back to Salt Lake. They were one of just three teams to have even a passing touchdown. So that kind of shows like one the lack of quality quarterback play across the league but then also the edge that they might have over some of these other teams I think they have a better quarterback position and I I do think they have a, a pretty good backfield in general like all three of those guys are like professional type of guys like they've seen time in the NFL Asiata and Oliver have seen like extensive time in the NFL so Salt Lake I do see being more of the the running team there but uh Birmingham I mean, I like their team. I, I like Quentin Patton. Like, he was a good college player. Had, a, you know, slightly more than a cup of coffee. We'll say two cups of coffee in the NFL. Right. And I like some of the depth that they have, too. So, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Birmingham, I think, is interesting. And uh, we talked about him last week at plus 1,200 odds on the futures, which, uh, you know, I mean, it's one week. But feeling pretty decent about that. So, anyway, what, what, are, your, what are your thoughts here in terms of the matchup? Yeah, man, I, I still like those odds. I was looking at the updated features. I don't think they're behind Memphis anymore, but they're still uh, pretty uh, decent odds. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind laying them still like plus 800 or so. But yeah, I think this key matchup is going to be the Salt Lake O-line. I agree with, I, I do think Josh Woodrum in the Salt Lake passing game can be one of the league's, you know, top four, top five units. But I don't know if, if Woodrum's got uh, going to be limited with his hamstring and drive a tough time getting behind that. So, I mean, the question becomes, can they dominate the line of scrimmage? Because, Birmingham front seven, they did allow the third highest yards per carry last week against Memphis. Uh, You know, Memphis couldn't throw the ball pretty much further than five yards downfield with Hackenberg, so they weren't really able to commit to the run game. But I feel like one of these offensive lines is going to emerge as the league's best unit, and we're going to want to find out who that team is sooner rather than later to try to ride that. So early thinking is Salt Lake could be that unit. So uh, we'll see if they can get things going here. All right, that's that's interesting. Do you have a sense from the Vegas perspective of where you might be leaning on this? Yeah, with seven and a half points, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and take Salt Lake there. It's I feel like all these picks, I like the underdogs. Vegas is pretty much right on the spot. I just think they're probably adding a, a couple extra points to all these teams that they shouldn't be. So uh, again, we still know very little about this league. So to be kind of favoring anyone by seven and a half points uh, just seems like a lot to me. And I think the next teams we're talking about, seven's even going to not seem like that many. Yeah, a seven and a half does feel like a lot to me, especially because I don't see much of a difference between these two teams. So yeah, I think if I if I had to take one of these, I would probably take the underdog, especially because, you know, like I, I do think uh, Josh Woodrum is, is not that bad. Okay, let's talk about this next game. The Arizona Hotshots, massive favorites to start the year, uh, plus 250 favorites to win the league, had a pretty significant victory last week. They are 10-point favorites on the road at the Memphis Express, a 49-point over-under. This game is at 7 p.m. on Saturday evening. Ian, give us some of the week one takeaways. 
So Arizona starts off as like the clear-cut league favorite. Then we find out two days before the season that John Wolford beat out Trevor Knight, so they're rolling with a new quarterback. And then Wolford goes out and basically is easily the best quarterback of week one. I mean, that's just an example of uh, how, yeah. how that worked out in the AF. But, hey, I mean, the guy was a former Wake Forest QB. I guess like every single season the coach pretty much had a new quarterback from the beat out, and he kept doing it. I mean, he went out there, had an average nine and a half yards per attempt, threw four touchdowns. Had eight rush attempts, which is a big thing to monitor. He's not the most athletic guy, but if he's going to be taken off that often, that's huge for a fantasy. But the big thing from watching this offense is it looks like pretty much because Hugh Freeze was there until December. I think they might have just, you know, kept Hugh Freeze's uh, playbook and offense because I didn't see any other team run more. No huddle, you know, play action, RPOs. This was easily the most modern offense, like, in the entire league. And it looked great. I mean, one of the things I thought – watching these defenses have so much success kind of in those first two games last week was all the offenses were waiting until the last few seconds on the play clock. Defenses could kind of shift late and then get their blitzes right. Arizona was consistently snapping with, you know, 15 seconds left, really getting the line and running their stuff, forcing defenses line up in base. So if they're able to just be two steps ahead of defenses all season like that, uh, it could be problematic, especially this week against, you know, Mike Singletary and this Memphis team that doesn't quite seem like the most uh, new age uh, unit, but a whole lot of things to like on Arizona offense, aside from just the scheme, too. I mean, Jarrell Presley, you and me each have him as our number one fantasy back this week. Yeah. He scored a freaking uh, 30, had a 30 yard touchdown catch off a wheel lined up as a slot receiver. I mean, this guy's a legit. That was great. That was a great route. Ooh, he, he is legit talented. I mean, that's before even getting the Rashad Ross at over 100 yards and two touchdowns last week. So, I mean, is there any way you can't call this Arizona team like easily the front runners right now? Uh, they're the best. They they are clearly the best team in the league right now. Walford, I have to say, like I'm I'm impressed by him. Okay, so I'm really into the NFL draft and kind of like projecting how guys from college will play in the NFL. And each year there are guys that you think like, oh, this guy could be an NFL player. Like he has some of the numbers that are comparable to guys who are going to be drafted. But this guy is probably not going to be drafted. And Walford was one of those guys. The big thing against him was his size, right? He's like 6'1". Like, how much does he weigh? Like, not even like 210, I think. It's like 6'1", 200-ish pounds, something like that. So that's the big thing against him. Uh, But he was a four-year starter in the ACC at Wake Forest. Like, started every year. That's really impressive. He improved throughout his college career. In his final season, completed almost 64% of his passes, had a 9.4 adjusted yards per attempt. And one of the things that also uh, I think was impressive about him was that like as a freshman, he was basically just a statue back there in the pocket, you know, like had no mobility, but he improved his mobility in the pocket and as a runner throughout college. So like now what we see is a guy who last week led the quarterback position with eight rush attempts. And I don't think that's like totally fluky. Like he did improve as a runner throughout college to where like in his final season, he had almost 700 yards rushing. So like that is part of his skill set. And then you have Jarrell Presley, who I think was a a pretty undervalued guy at New Mexico. And those guys who play like in the the non-major conferences like Mountain West or WAC or whatever it is, like those guys, they just kind of don't get the respect. But like Presley, he's never done much as a receiver, but we saw what he did last week catching the ball like I think he actually has that skill set and he was a really explosive runner at New Mexico and then Rashad Ross that's like a blast from the past 
of like college DFS. Like that guy was pretty decent even in college. So like I look at that offense and there's not like one part of it that I think like, oh, this is clearly their weakness. So yeah, like I'm, I mean, I'm on board with Arizona. When the futures market opened after week one, Arizona, you could still invest at them at plus 250, which like maybe that just shows how bullish the market was, how optimistic the market was on them entering the season. But the fact that you could see how good they were in week one and still invested them at the same price, I think that was a, a pretty significant discount. And you can, you can still find that number or a number very close to that in the market if there are people who are kind of still thinking about futures. I mean, is there anything to say about Memphis, about, about the, other side, the other side of this game? Oh, man, I don't have anything nice to say about him, except uh, your boy, Zach Stacy, who I gave a little flack last week, came out and had a nice little wiggle. Uh, he didn't, you know, didn't go too crazy, but he had 12 carries, kind of looked like the league guy there. I just want to point out that Memphis, they go out there, they have this first half, Hackenberg goes like three for 11, and their major halftime adjustment was to start running more Wildcat in the second half. I mean, I, I kid you not, they ran like six or seven plays out of the Wildcat. Well, could you blame them? Oh, my God. <laughs> Dude, but here's the best part. They, they finally run one where they pitch it back to Hackenberg, who's lined up at wide receiver. He throws like a 40-yard dime for a touchdown and actually got called back on like a hold. So Hackenberg's only good throw of the day actually got called back, and uh, the world doesn't even know it happened. So poor guy. But, yeah, man, it's, I feel like we have to see them score a point before we can – come close to even saying a nice thing about this offense okay so this is an offense I, it's not really even an offense but like Zach Stacy, like I liked him in terms of like oh he was a good late season pickup as a rookie who helped you win your season long league like five or six years ago like that's that's a nice nostalgia moment but like <laughs> there's nothing about this offense I mean, the thing is, like, I entered the season thinking, I don't care what the spread is. I am always going to be betting against Hackenberg. Yeah. Um, but, but this is starting to be called into question here. Because, yeah, I, I said that the hot shots were 10-point favorites. The line has actually moved since I created the outline. They're now 12-and-a-half-point favorites. So, I mean, like, oh it's, uh, yeah. I mean, what, what, so first of all, just Ian, talk about this, this matchup. And then we'll, we'll talk about where we're thinking uh, in terms of Vegas. So the, the one chink in the Arizona armor right now that I can find is that their offense is banged up. So their offensive line specifically. So first of all, injuries are far from an official thing in the AAF yet. So it takes a bunch of digging to try to find practice reports. But I did find out that the Arizona starting left tackle, starting right tackle, and their left guard all did not practice on Wednesday. So hopefully, uh, you know, I get some more clarity later in the week and I can update the betting guide and uh, we'll see if those guys are actually in and out but banged up front seven and they're facing a uh, Memphis I'm sorry banged up O-line facing a Memphis front seven that actually played really well last week I mean they got beat down by Birmingham but like we mentioned earlier Trent Richardson really had no efficiency on the ground to only give up 26 points in four quarters with Hackenberg moving that offense you know really isn't the worst thing in the world they didn't get much help from turnovers. So really was a good performance by uh, that front seven. And if they have any hope of kind of staying in this game, I think they're really going to need to dominate the line of scrimmage. So if Arizona is banged up, I mean, we could see Walford uh, maybe get pressured a little bit and uh, not have quite as much of success. But I'm with you with the future call, though, man. I mean, there's a lot of questions. I think going in this year, what would these teams even look like? And to see Arizona come through as the clear-cut best team, quote-unquote, and then still have the same odds is pretty interesting to me. 
Man, so 12 and a half. I, I don't know. It's, I mean, like there is, there's no way I really want to bet on the team that is starting Christian Hackenberg. But 12 and a half, especially considering they are at home. Now, who knows what that really means in a game where they're probably not likely to get even 20,000 people there. But, you know, they are at home and 12 and a half points is a lot to be getting considering that we still know almost nothing about these teams and about the the league in general. I mean, what 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 are you doing? What are you doing here? This might be a stay away, but yeah. I can't take Hackenberg. I'm taking Arizona gun to my head. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if yeah, it's uh, for me it's a it's a stay away because I know the sharp thing is to take the the 12 and a half, but there's just I can't. I I just I I can't do it with Hackenberg. Yeah. Okay, Ian, uh, great job with that analysis. Strong performance. And speaking of strong performance, let's uh, let's talk about erectile dysfunction. <laughs> Best segue yet. Let's go. Yeah, uh, guy, <laughs> I didn't let you know what the uh, the ad read was going to be about. No, uh, you didn't. <laughs> yeah. Guys are terrible at taking care of their health, whether it's a knee injury, bad back, or something worse. And I've, I've got the back issue, but guys are usually more comfortable just rubbing some dirt on it than seeing a doctor. The same is true for erectile dysfunction, which by the way, if you have ED, I definitely recommend not rubbing dirt on it. That probably won't fix the issue, but you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't know, but uh, that's kind of the point. I'm not a doctor. If you have ED, you should get it checked out by the doctors at Roman. Studies show 70% of guys who have experienced ED don't get it treated, but thankfully Roman has created an easy way to get it checked out by a doctor and treated online. Roman is a one-stop shop where licensed U.S. physicians can diagnose ED and ship medication right to your door. With Roman, there are no waiting rooms, awkward face-to-face conversations, or uncomfortable trips to the pharmacy. You can handle everything discreetly online. All you have to do is visit GetRoman.com slash NFLPod, fill out a brief medical onboarding, chat with a doctor, and get FDA-approved ED meds delivered to your door in nonchalant, unmarked packaging. Guys, go online and get checked out by the doctor. And as I should say, you know, gals, if you are listening to the show and you've got a guy with, a, you know, an ED issue, maybe talk to him about Roman, you know, help that uh, cowboy get back in the saddle. Erectile dysfunction is a problem that guys don't tackle. Tackle, optimal word for a football podcast. But with Roman, it's really easy. So take care of it. For a free online visit, go to getroman.com slash NFLpod. That is getroman.com slash NFLpod for a free online visit. Getroman.com slash NFLpod. Ian, congratulations. We made it through that with minimal laughter. Um, I was about to say, you, you improved last week. We had to stop like five times. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Because ED is no laughing matter. <laughs> no laughing matter. <laughs> it really is not. Uh, okay. Let, let's talk about these two Sunday games. We have the Orlando Apollos, six and a half point favorites. At the San Antonio Commanders, a 45.5 over-under. It is a 3 p.m. game. Ian, give us some of the takeaways from week one for these teams. So when we were looking at Orlando and San Diego specifically, we were thinking that one of Spurrier and Martz would probably maybe figure things out, and the other one might be looking like they're running a 20-year-old offense. It looks like Spurrier is the one that figured it out after one week. Uh, Garrett Gilbert really came out there and looked and looked good. You know, everyone saw kind of the – Orlando special touchdown catch he had, but averaged 9.1 yards per attempt. They did a really good job of kind of getting Jalen Marshall and Charles Johnson free on crossing routes throughout the game. But when Gilbert did go downfield, man, he was legit. 
had a 26-yard touchdown pass, another 33-yard one. I mean, really attacked all areas of the field. And that was to go along with and maybe the league's uh, best and most diverse rushing attack. Uh, Akeem Hunt ended up with a league-high 73 yards on 10 carries. He had five targets, didn't catch any of them, but it does look like he's tentatively kind of that lead RB1 here in what could be a high-scoring offense. I do think we are going to see a committee kind of form. Uh, Devion Smith, the bigger back, he already vultured a one-yard touchdown. So I'm keeping an eye on uh, Devion because that could be useful. Already saw his uh, fan wall price tag. I think he's only at 3400 So, yeah. uh, you know, he's not going to get too many touches, but the ones he get could be pretty fantasy-friendly. So something to keep on there. And this last guy, D. Ernest Johnson, I'm pretty intrigued by. I didn't know really who he was going into the game, but ends up with 35 yards and only five rushes. Uh, his only target, he turned into a 33-yard touchdown. Kind of a blown coverage, but another one of these things we mentioned earlier at Presley, but Johnson was lined up outside as a wide receiver and was able to, you know, kind of take the top off and catch a deep one. So I do like seeing these running backs that are at least getting snaps in the slot and out wide. I mean, it's giving us more of a chance to take advantage of this uh, PPR system. But uh, what do you think of this Orlando offense, Matt? Yeah, I mean, Spurrier, I mean, he's – who knows if he's going to be able to keep this going, but oh. um, yeah, I mean, for, for one week, it was, it was looking good. Garrett Gilbert, I think was a, an underrated quarterback in college. It, it took him a while to develop, but uh, he had, you know, I think some good times at uh, SMU, as you mentioned that backfield, they have, I think a pretty good rotation going between those three guys. And I really like these wide receivers, Jalen Marshall. He didn't do much at Ohio state. If you just kind of look at the raw numbers, but he was young when he was there. He had some kind of like diversified production and he was always an explosive athlete. So I think we could see, you know, some of like that promise fulfilled here. And then Charles Johnson, like, I mean, we, we know what we get out of him. He was very productive at a lower level in college, flashed a little bit in the NFL, has a lot of upside. Like with those two guys kind of holding down the wide receiver core, like I think there's a lot of potential with this offense. But wouldn't it be surprising if by the end of the season, it comes down to Orlando and then Arizona. I mean, the, the, they look like the most explosive teams right now. That's fair. I do. I will say this. I like the San Antonio wide receivers better than the Orlando receivers. How about right. that? Talk, talk to me. Talk to me. I mean, that, that's true. That's, <laughs> fair. that's fair. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, both these groups are awesome. I think they're usually each top uh, three units. But so San Antonio, number one receiver, pretty much your de facto number one fantasy receiver this week. Mikhail McKay, he had 12 targets last week, people. No one else even had double digits. So Ended up with 80 uh, yards, five catches. But really, I was more impressed by the other two guys. Uh, Greg Ward Jr., old Houston quarterback. Yeah. I didn't really know what to expect from him. You know, I feel like Denard Robinson, uh, Braxton Miller, some of these more athletic quarterbacks we've seen try to change positions. It takes a while, and they're, you know, they kind of look like quarterbacks who need the ball schemed to them, not really pure wide receivers. Ward really impressed me, man. He went out there. He had a really deep catch down the sideline where he had to track the ball. He was getting screens, making guys miss, running good old-fashioned comeback routes. I mean, looked like a pure wide receiver. And then at the same time, I mean, he, got, he threw a reverse pass. He had a jet sweep. He was the returner. Him and, on the other side of the ball, Jalen Marshall are both guys that, you know, they're former quarterbacks. Marshall played quarterback in high school. They're guys that are comfortable running with the ball. And I think both offenses have shown that they want to get these guys the ball as much as possible. So if we can target these guys that the offensive coordinators seem to like, I mean, why not? And then the last guy here on San Antonio, Alonzo Moore. If there's a guy you want to take a shot on fantasy week, I think it's him. I mean, he ended up with, I think, 78 yards last week. So we already saw a little bit of that explosion. But he is definitely their field stretcher. And he got five targets. And I would say three or four of those targets at least, you know, were over 20 yards downfield so they are not afraid to throw him the ball out and 
I'll tell you, I mean, we thought Dustin Vaughn was going to be starting for the San Antonio team, ended up being a ex-Toledo quarterback, Logan Woodside. But I like what I saw from Woodside. Uh, didn't have the best statistical day. No touchdowns. One of them was dropped, though. Threw two picks. You know, weren't entirely his fault, but weren't great passes. But I'm pretty optimistic on this San Antonio offense moving forward. I don't think we've seen the best in them yet. Yeah, I would say, like, I don't think he cost his team last right. week. And, I mean, they still, they still won. They scored only 15 points. But uh, I think there's room for that offense to improve. And like you, I was actually very impressed with Greg Ward. It is hard for those college quarterbacks often to transition to wide receiver. But the guys who have been able to do it have normally been the guys who have been pretty good as runners in college. So like Julian Edelman as the guy who's kind of like the prime example in his senior season had 1300 rushing yards, 13 rushing touchdowns. You know, we saw something similar out of Greg Ward when he was at Houston as a guy who was just a total dynamo running the ball. I mean, by the way, like in his first two seasons, he actually did see some playing time at receiver when he was kind of waiting to see the field as a quarterback. So he has a a pretty diverse skill set. And yeah, I mean, I don't know if he ever ends up in the NFL, but it would be exciting to, to see someone like that because he does have he does have a lot of potential there. But yeah, Mikhail McKay as a guy who was just a total target monster, I think it's hard to know if he is going to be someone who actually gets the ball that often. I mean, 12 targets is just a lot. But uh, I think the good news is that with all of those wide receivers in general, there are targets to go around. Mikel got 12, Greg Ward got nine, Alonzo Moore got five. Like there, there uh, are targets to go around to those guys. And I think part of that in part is because uh, Kenneth Farrow, David Cobb, those two guys out of the backfield are not the type of guys to be catching a lot of passes. So when the ball is thrown, it is a very good chance that it is going to uh, one of the wide receivers. Speaking of wide receivers, talk to us about what you think is the key matchup for this game. Yeah, I'm interested to watch these battles at wide receiver cornerback, really on both sides of the ball, because assuming we'll say for a second that Josh Woodrum doesn't play, this is the only matchup in this week with a competent quarterback on each side of the ball. So I, I'm expecting points here. This is the game I like the over the most. In. And like we just talked up both these receiver groups. I mean, there's, you know, ballers on both sidelines. But the, I'm really especially looking forward to uh, kind of watching these San Antonio DBs back up what might be the best nickname in the entire league right now because they call themselves Area 51 because it's somewhere you don't want to go, Matt. So uh, <laughs> social media accounts are already going awesome for this league, and uh, I'm looking forward to watching some ballers out there. All right. Any, any leans <laughs> or picks in this game here? This is actually yeah, – I love the over here. I love San Antonio plus six and a half here. I mean, I haven't quite seen where Sean has them in his power rankings yet, but I do think San Antonio is a clear-cut top four or five team. And, I mean, Orlando balled out week one, but and we'll get to the train wreck that is Atlanta in a second. Uh, I'm, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm confident. I, I like what I saw from Spurrier, but I'm also a little bit tentative about assuming that's what we're going to see uh, from here on out. Yeah, that's true, because the the matchup against Atlanta was very advantageous. If I had to take a side, so I, I think that Orlando is good and Atlanta is bad, which is why they won by 34 points last week. I guess I'm a little more bullish on uh, Orlando relative to San Antonio than you are. Six and a half is a lot of points, though, considering especially since they are at home. So, yeah, if I had to take a side here, I would probably like the the kind of sharp side of me would say that I should take San Antonio. But the uh, I don't know, the the person who watched, you know, like three minutes of highlights would say I, I want to take Orlando because I just I kind of think they're the better team. OK, 
the fourth and final game of week two, the Atlanta legends, <laughs> man, at the San Antonio fleet, the fleet are favored by nine and a half. Let's see if that line has changed. No, that's the line nine and a half, uh, 10, a couple places, a 45 point over under 7 PM game. Give us some of these week one takeaways. Yeah, so Atlanta might actually be worse than Memphis, which I'm not sure if we saw coming or not. But basically, less than a day after we recorded last week's podcast, their offensive coordinator, Mike Vick, went ahead and quit. So Atlanta has now lost their offensive coordinator and their head coach, Brad Childress, in the last month. So that kind of tells you how the how, how the locker room is going uh, for the legends, as they like to call themselves. But man, <laughs> the so-called legends, so-called legends. And I mean, we were talking last week about how much, how long is Matt Sims really going to be quarterback here? I'm a little bit startled that he's still the guy and Aaron Murray wasn't able to beat him out during his preseason. And I'll yeah. tell you what, Aaron Murray came in at the end of that last game and he threw a really bad pick that got overturned for hitting the ground. And the very next play, he threw almost the exact same terrible pick and it actually was picked off. So I mean, I don't want to put too much into a two-throw sample size, but I don't think the guy that uh, set the SEC record for touchdown passes is uh, quite playing at that level right now. And then just Malachi Jones, the one of the wide receivers, had seven targets and didn't even catch a ball. I'm really underwhelmed by these receivers. And then even in the running game, I mean, Terry and Folston seems like one of only three or four guys that might actually be the featured back, but I don't think I've ever seen a running back like this dude ran a four eight forty at the combine, and that was all I could think about whenever he had the ball. He's a guy that just has no burst or any wiggle, and I mean, you know, I know volume can overcome that over time, but it was still pretty alarming to see. I mean, there just aren't any playmakers on this Atlanta team. Yeah, that that forty time is sub Alfred Morris. That is like that's sub Zach line. Just to try to put this in like uh, perspective of a guy who's playing fullback in the NFL. The fact that Denard Robinson can't just automatically step onto the field and win the starting job as the running back is pretty alarming. Malachi Jones, I think that is how his name is pronounced, but okay. uh, he, he turned seven targets into zero receptions, so he doesn't deserve to have his name pronounced correctly. <laughs> um, so, so there's really nothing good. I, I think, like one side note, I think Vic, I don't – think he quit it's hard to to sort of read what was happening here I think he was literally demoted by the league or like by the team because something like he wasn't able to show up enough to like be at practice and that kind of stuff you're right though he he didn't quit per se he's still involved so yeah he's he's now like involved in the player development side for the league but I, I think part of it was that he was supposed to learn under the head coach and then the head coach quit so it's like this weird situation where I think he was kind of no longer wanted, but he still had a contract. So, okay. oh man, Atlanta, it's just, it's not a good, it's not a good situation. San Diego, let's talk about San Diego and uh, Mike Martz's wonderful team here. Yeah. So Mike Martz decided to sacrifice his starting quarterback to the AAF gods week one. I think we all saw, <laughs> I think we all saw poor Mike uh, Benavici just get absolutely slaughtered. Oh man, the dude! I think it was six first half sacks. I mean, it was it was freaking miserable out there. It was it was a constant display of two back sets and no pass protection. Man, I cannot name a worse offense to watch than the San Diego Fleet. And now they're entering week two as nine and a half point favorites, going on their number three quarterback. Because lest we forget, they drafted Josh Johnson number one overall, and he didn't show up in the league. So. We're now basically putting our trust in something named Philip Nelson to come around and figure out this Mike Martz offense. 
Uh, look, I was really high like on Francis Owusu coming in. I even said that he's going to be a league winner on Twitter. I said those words, and I'm watching him out there. <laughs> always getting his fly screens and three-yard curls. I mean, it was a freaking joke. He had seven targets and 12 yards. The only guy getting downfield throws seemed to be Gavin Escobar, who's one of like 20 tight ends the Cowboys drafted in the second round since 2000. I mean, it- <laughs> Like, the one thing they did well was run the ball, and then all of a sudden they had the week's highest pass play rate at 69%, which was, like, 10% higher than anyone else. And Jaquan Gardner seemed like, you know, the only kind of good source of offense they've had. So, I think San Diego is a little bit better than Atlanta and Memphis, but I think those are your bottom three teams easily. Totally agree. I mean, how do you even pick what to focus on for a matchup between these two teams? <laughs> I mean, what, what oh is the yeah, quote-unquote key matchup to watch? Yeah, I'm struggling with my uh, – I'm not quite in week 15 NFL form with my matchups yet, fam. So <laughs> um, I apologize that we get a little better at this. But, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the San Diego O-line just because, like I said, they did have success running the ball last week. They averaged a week high 6.2 yards per carry. And you know that Atlanta D-line was really run over by that uh, aforementioned really solid group of running backs with Orlando. So I'd like to see, you know, San Diego have more than 16 rushes, maybe embrace a little bit of what they're actually doing. Well, uh, it'll be interesting to see if, you know, it was just a game flow thing last week or if Mike Marsh's plans on throwing the ball pretty much twice as much as everyone else. Yeah. I mean, it felt like a typical Mike Martz, uh, you know, type <laughs> of type of thing to do. Okay. So nine and a half points. Are you taking a side on this? I mean, th- we have two horrible teams. Nine and a half is a lot. I don't want to back Atlanta, but I feel like this if you if you are backing one of these teams, it probably should be Atlanta. Yeah, I mean just nine and a half points for I understand Atlanta's terrible, but again, Philip Nelson is now starting a quarterback. This is San Diego's number three QB, and he's a nine and a half point favorite at home. So by the way, with these lines, they don't seem to really be adjusted to the no extra point rules. Uh have you noticed that at all? I mean, I'm just seeing, yeah. you know, seven and a half, so I wonder uh I wonder if they should be higher normally or lower. Just um, I wonder what the key numbers are going to be pretty much with the new scoring system. Yeah, I mean, it, it, is, it is weird because it's, I feel like the, it's a softer seven because it's more contingent. Okay. You just sort of don't know. But, you know, you're still assuming that, you know, roughly around a 50% conversion rate, the teams have to go for two. So you should still, you think, see seven That's true. Uh, more often than not. But it's, it's, it's going to be variable, right? It's just, it's going to move around. So... Yeah, it is interesting to see uh, to see the lines kind of anchoring around key numbers when they just kind of don't matter as much. One thing, I mean, the under forty five points. It's actually moved uh, since I wrote the outline. It's moved to forty four. We're seeing forty four to forty five in three of the four games here. This is the the side that I might feel the most strongly about, like taking the under in this game because we have two totally incompetent defense. I mean, offenses here that really didn't score any points last week. Like collectively, how many points did they score? Like 12? So, I mean, I mean, yeah, they, they literally scored 12 points together <laughs> last week. I, I mean, it's not as if like I'm just straight up projecting them for 12 points this week, but given how incompetent they were at moving the ball last week, if I had to bet on anything in this slate, it would probably be the under for this game. Ian, let's talk about some fantasy. Big hat tip to the people of Fanball for creating daily fantasy contests for the Alliance. The format there, one quarterback, one running back, one wide receiver, and then three flexes, obviously going with 
running back, wide receiver, and tight end. Ian, let's uh, give a little strategy, some thought about how people might want to go about constructing lineups for these fanball contests. Yeah, definitely. Shout out Fanball and uh, Scott Fish, who actually predicted the big week for Quentin Patton last week. So sharp guy over there for sure. But yeah, so Fanball, we got the quarterback spot, running back spot, wide receiver, and three flexes. Didn't see much evidence in week one that there are too many tight ends. You should necessarily be uh, chasing the throw in that flex. But I think that's something we'll uh, see a little more as the season progresses. But the big takeaway, which we talked about kind of throughout this pod a little bit for me, is that Right now, we really only have four kind of capable QBs that are cemented in the number one spot and seem to actually be decent at football. That's not including Josh Woodrum, who, again, I like a lot, but he's dealing with his hamstring injury, not even sure if he's going to play. We got Garrett Gilbert, John Walford, Logan Woodside, and Luis Perez, who you know are also your four highest-priced guys. But I don't think there's much value in paying down a QB this week because of not only how bad those quarterbacks are, but also how bad their schemes are and really their skill position players. So uh, I would stick, try to stick with these good offenses. And, you know, at running back, Trent Richardson and Jarrell Presley are going to be your big two pretty much uh, anywhere you see. But I think there's some value elsewhere uh, to be had because a lot of these other running back situations aren't nearly as uh, defined. So there's kind of committee backs uh, spread out throughout the price ranges. So I'm pretty intrigued so far. But I, I think generally the same thoughts of, you know, you want to maybe spend up try to uh, get these running backs that were a little more confident in having additional touches versus the wide receivers is still going to be a a general strategy to stick by kind of like we see on DraftKings. Uh, What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I I do agree. One player who kind of catches my eye a little bit is Kenneth Farrow. And I was higher on him uh, than you and Corner were in our rankings. And I'll be honest, I don't know why I'm so high on him. Um, (laughs) but, But I think like he is going to be the main guy in San Antonio. I think he's clearly better. Well, I mean, clearly, I don't know, but I think he's better than David Cobb. Uh, he had 14 touches last week. He, the thing that is a drawback with him is that he's a non-entity in the passing game, but I think he's going to be slated for goal line work. And like, I, just, I think that they probably have an advantage this week where I, like, I could see him getting a goal line touchdown. Real quick in this backfield, I say this not knowing who this person was this time last week. Aaron Green to me, seems like the best running back in this backfield. He averaged over seven yards per carry last week. I went to the always great playerprofiler.com. He's got 96 percentile agility score. Yeah. He, he looks like he's got the wiggle on the field. And just from my 60-minute sample size of this game, it looked like Aaron Green had some burst to him. Am I crazy? Do you know who he is? <laughs> uh, yeah. So here's the thing. He had only six touches last week. Uh, sorry, I think seven if you count a, uh, a reception. So the thing is, I don't see him, even though I think he's probably better than the other two runners there, better than Pharaoh, better than Cobb. I just don't know if he's actually going to uh, be the guy who actually gets the workload. The only sorry. reason why I know who he is is because he went to TCU. Okay. I mean, that really, that's the only reason I know who he is. But he was very productive in his two final seasons at TCU. So I, I think he could be the guy if he actually gets the opportunities. I just don't think he's going to get the opportunities. I, I think right. like Pharaoh is going to be the guy who gets the, the, uh, the goal line touches. Yeah, and he was definitely the guy in week one. So I'm with you there. But hey, man, we we're barking all NFL season for Aaron Jones. I'm, I'm taking that stance with Aaron Green. <laughs> Uh, okay. Wide receivers. I feel like there are only, I mean, not just a few guys, but I feel like there are a a few very clear guys who are investable. And then after that, it's a little more of a crapshoot where you're kind of hoping that a guy maybe has enhanced target share or he finds the end zone. But how are you approaching the wide receivers? 
Yeah, I noticed in general, it seemed like some of the Orlando and uh, Salt Lake receivers seem to have some value a little bit lower on the salary scale. But again, I'm just trying to stick to these offenses that actually seem to have a capable quarterback. But with that said, I think this is a good chance to get off of, you know, your, your Mikhail McKay's, these guys that might have just had a one week spike in targets that are kind of primed for a little bit of a letdown week. I mean, this is where, you know, McKay had 12 targets. Yeah. Greg Ward also had nine. Another team, Rashad Ross had seven targets, you know, 100 yards and two plus touchdowns. That's great. Richard Mulaney was pretty involved with six and Josh Huff even had five. So guys like Josh Huff, even um, Kenny Bell, who I don't think had a single catch. I mean, these were guys we were all pretty dang high on uh, this time last week and they're still talented receivers, but just had a pretty, you know, non-impactful first game. So just remember, we are working with a one-week sample size here and not to really throw away, uh, you know, everything we knew about these guys before. So especially if, if we have a receiver that, you know, got your five-plus targets, maybe just didn't produce with it, I think week two is a possible time to go back to that well. Yeah, and uh, tight ends, I mean, I think just just stay away. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's, that's what I got. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I would say is that maybe from like a contrarian perspective – in tournaments, people might just totally fade tight ends. So it could be a way of having a contrarian lineup while still targeting like one of those guys that you could expect to have decent target share. But I just don't know if I even want to go there because the just the, the upside seems so low. Yeah, I will say if you are going to pick a tight end, do not pick Raiden Bowman. He was a dude that had the fun uh, hurdle on the first play for Birmingham, but he's unfortunately on the IR. So do not pick him. <laughs> good, good, uh, good, good information there. Uh, okay. Anything else to talk about from the fantasy perspective? Just a few quick kind of cheaper sleepers. I like Devion Smith's only 3,400 Brandon Oliver, only 3,900, a uh, couple under 4k running backs. And then out wide receiver, a couple of the cheaper guys, Chris Thompson, 3,600 Ishmael Hyman, 3,500 and De Mornay Pearson L. 3,500. Just, uh, again, some of these receivers that we saw get around five targets uh, have plenty of involvement, really not come through. Uh, you know, a couple bounces go their way. Maybe we see that change this week. Okay. Finally, let's close it out with uh, just any further conversation on the futures market after week one. Anyone catching your eye? I like what you said about Arizona. I'm thinking about putting some action on them. Uh, after this podcast, but I still think Birmingham's too high up plus 900 and I'm a little higher on San Antonio than you, but plus 550. I mean, I feel like we've identified them as at least not one of the three worst teams. So I, I like that value. Uh, still not really knowing enough uh, about the rest of the league. So all the good quarterbacks and right now Birmingham and San Antonio appear to have two of those. Yeah. Uh, I, I hear you there. I think I'm going to stick with the, uh, the investments I made last week which frankly, I can't even remember right now. I know I, I know I invested in Birmingham at uh, plus 1,200. And then I think I grabbed some others at uh, 500 and 800. But I literally can't even tell you which ones those are right now. Uh, I, would have, I, think, I think you were just too invested in the under attendance props, which you know. Yes, yes I, I was. I, I researched way too much and way too uh, fruitlessly. I, I couldn't really find anything. That would give me sort of indication, but I, uh, you know, my, my pessimism paid off. Uh, so, so cash those. Okay. Everyone be sure to check out Ian's onslaught of Alliance articles, which you will be able to check out over the uh, next couple of days. 
And that is going to do it for this episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. Please rate and review the show in iTunes. Subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe. For Ian Harditz, I'm Matthew Freeman, Matt at the Oracle. See you again next episode. 